Take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 6, as we continue in our study through the book of John, this great gospel of showing the, the deity and the power of Christ, so magnificent a way through seven signs and seven discourses or seven teachings. We come today to the fifth miracle, fifth sign that John has chosen out of all the miracles that Jesus did to show us the glory of Christ, to show us the power of Christ in, in, in such a, a magnificent way. And, and this is the one that is known as the Jesus walking on the water. And uh, it follows in two of the other synoptics, as a matter of fact, in Matthew and Mark. Uh, this miracle follows the feeding of the 5,000, both of those. So there's, a, there's a, a continuity there between at least three of the gospel accounts of to where this miracle took place, where this uh, actually happened in context with the other miracles. And in John's gospel, he, he places this in here just before the discourse on the, on the bread, before he explains what the miracle of feeding the 5,000 was all about. Uh, he has this miracle of Jesus walking on the water. I want you to hear this account from the, from the Apostle John as we read in John chapter 6, beginning verse 15. Hear the word of the Lord. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, and after getting into a boat, they started across the sea to Capernaum. It had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. So they went on without him. The sea began to be stirred up because of a strong wind was blowing. Then when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I... Do not be afraid. So they were willing to receive him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. The next day, the crowd that stood on the other side of the sea, that there were, they saw there was no other small boat there except one, and that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples had gone away alone. There came other small boats from Tiberias, near the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So there's the feeding of the 5,000. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into small boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? It's a little bit of a an interesting question there that we'll get to in a minute that, that they say meaning one thing, I think, and, and Jesus answers through the discourse to show them something entirely different from what they were asking in that simple question. But I want you to see the events that transpire here. We know that Jesus has just fed the 5,000. He's taken those loaves and those fishes, and he has blessed them, and they passed them out. And 5,000 men, the Scripture says, have been, have been served and still, there are 12 baskets of leftovers piled up, collected, that they had. Everything collected and brought back. I mean, a, a tremendous miracle, to say the least. Uh, something that Jesus just multiplied and the people enjoyed. And the people did enjoy it. 
I, I don't think they made statements, at least John doesn't record it like uh, they did at the, at the wedding feast in Cana when he turned the water into wine where the people said, wait a minute, he saved the best for last, but I, I don't think, it doesn't record that they said, wow, these are the best fish and the best bread I've ever eaten, but I've got a feeling it must have been. And they were captivated by that, that miracle. They, they really said, here's a man who can feed us with very little and make everything we want be fulfilled. And so they sought after him to make him king. They said, let's, let's take him, put him on the throne, make him king, and he can do this every day for us. Why, well, we won't have to work again. It's the ultimate welfare system. We won't ever have to work again. We won't ever have to do anything again. We'll just go about and enjoy life, and this man will be our king, and he will give us anything and everything we want. That's not why Jesus came. He didn't come to set up a kingdom on earth in the way that these people were thinking about. He didn't come to just meet every physical need and every emotional need and every, every whelm that, that anybody had. That They'd just say, oh, Jesus, would you give us this? He was not somebody that was just coming to make you happy. But he came with a real purpose. And it was not yet time for that purpose to be fulfilled. And so he withdrew himself. He went and hid himself, literally, the text says. Matthew and Mark tell us the same thing. One of them says, well, the synoptics say, he went away and he prayed. John doesn't go into that detail. But he just said he withdrew again to the mountain by himself all alone. The disciples didn't even know where he was. And so it came time that they were to enter into this little boat and go across the sea, the Sea of Galilee, and go to Capernaum. He wasn't there. It was getting dark. dark darkness has already set in. So they, they set out without him. And they started to the other side of the thing. And they rode. They rode for about three or four miles, John says. They got out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And all of a sudden, the wind started blowing, the storm started rising, the boat started rocking. All it, it, was a, it, was an, it was not unusual for those who were the fishermen among the disciples. They had no doubt been on the Sea of Galilee many times when the storms had arisen, and they knew what to do in that. But as that storm was rocking the boat, they looked up and they saw someone coming toward them. Mark says they thought they saw a ghost out on the ocean or out on the sea, and they looked and they saw, and they were fearful. It, to me, it's somewhat amusing or what maybe even, even enlightening to notice that these men were more fearful of seeing Jesus walking on water than they were of the storm that was raging around them. They saw him and they feared. He looked at him and he said, it's just me. Haynes paraphrased. It is I. Don't be afraid. Don't be frightened. It's, it's me. It's the one who was with you on the other side. It was the one who was with you on the shore who fed the 5,000. It's the one that's been with you all along. It's not a ghost. It's not any kind of unusual thing. It's just me. Although it was a, quite a, a bit unusual that he was walking on the water. Now, some critical commentators want to say, well, what had happened here was they weren't really rowing across the sea. They were just kind of rowing along the side of the sea. And, and he wasn't really walking on the water. He was walking by the water. And they looked up and they saw him walking along the edge of the Sea of the Galilee after they'd rowed three or four miles from where they were on their way to Capernaum. And, and, and John doesn't say that. And Matthew and Mark make it even clear that they were not along the ocean edge. They were out in the middle of the water. Others might say, well, you know, Jesus was smart. He knew where the rocks were. 
you know, he, he knew where the stones were, and he could just step along, and it looked like he, or maybe there was a sandbar there that he was walking on. No, there was no sandbar. There was no rocks to step on. Jesus was walking on the water. Well, why does John, why does Matthew, why does Mark insert this miracle after the tremendous miracle of feeding 5,000 and have Jesus just walking on the water? It's very brief. It's very, it's very concise. There's no great teaching about it at this point. But, but I want you to see something that's important here. Every one of these miracles points to something clear. We've already talked about in depth how the turning the water and the wine at the wedding feast at Cana was a sign that the old was giving way to the new. The old covenant was passing away. The new covenant was come. We, we saw that the healing of the nobleman's son showed that he had power over sickness and over death and how healing of the lame man showed that he had power over even infirmities that had been there for many, many years and, and, and how the feeding of the multitude is going to show how he is the bread of life and he is the one that's come down out of heaven and he'll deal with that as we get into the discourse following this miracle. But he comes to this walking on the water. What is that talking about? Showing, my friend, that he is the Lord of the storm. He is the Lord of the storms that might come. Whether they're on the Sea of Galilee or whether they're in your life. And I don't want to over-spiritualize this too much, but I want you to understand something. John is wanting us to see, Matthew wants to see, uh, and, uh, and Mark wants us to see, that whatever storm arises in your life, Jesus already knows about the storm. Jesus has already seen the storm. And Jesus is there to protect those who are his. Those disciples had no reason to fear. They had no reason to become concerned as the waves beat about them. And when they saw Jesus, they were more fearful until they found out who he was. And he said, it is I, and they let him in the boat. Now, John says, interestingly, that when he got in the boat, they were immediately at their destination. That, that the boat was immediately, the boat was at the land to which they were going. Matthew and, and Mark don't give that little detail. As a matter of fact, Matthew adds a little something more to it. Neither one of these are wrong. Both of them are right. Remember that we've already talked about how the gospel writers give different perspectives, how they look and they see something like three or four of you would see a car wreck and describe your angle, your direction, what you saw happening, and they all may sound like there was a wreck in Lexington and one in Knoxville and one in Somerset. They may not sound like the same thing sometimes, but they all are just reporting on different perspectives. Matthew even goes on to tell us as he walks on water how, how Peter said, well, wait a minute, and he said the same thing, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. But then Matthew adds, but Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. And Jesus said, okay, come. And Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came toward Jesus. Can't you see that? Peter gets out, he sees Jesus, he steps out of the boat, he steps onto the water, he doesn't look down at the water, he just starts walking toward Jesus. And then all of a sudden, he, he realizes what's happening. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Where you're doing something you want to do, and then you say, whoa, something's not right. The circumstances aren't right. Peter says, I'm walking on water. And there's waves around me on either side and in front and behind, and the storm is brewing, and, and the waves are going. And, and Peter starts saying, wait a minute, there's Jesus, but look at all these waves. And he starts sinking, starts going under. Jesus reaches out and picks him up and says to Peter, he says, Peter, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, Matthew says, the wind stopped. 
Those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. When you see the power of Christ over the storms, you know that he is the Lord of the storm, he is Lord of the universe, he is, he is the Lord of creation, and he is the Lord who sustains everything that there is. And he was, they worshipped him. Wow, what, a, what an example of, of who he is. You know, these, these Jewish minds did not worship anybody but God. They were trained from their childhood that you don't worship anything or anybody that is not God. I mean, it was just a, it, it was absolutely, absolutely anathema to them. They worshipped him and said, you truly are the Son of God. Mark gives a little different uh, indication of what took place there. He just says, uh, Jesus made his disciples go. Now, John seems to indicate they just looked around. Jesus wasn't there and said, we got to get to the other side. And they went. Mark says, he, he made them go. He said, you go ahead of me. Just go on and get over there to Bethsaida on the other side. And he sent the crowd away. And after bidding farewell, he left to a mountain to pray. And it was evening, and the boat was in the middle of the sea. And he was, all, he was alone on the land. And seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and intended to pass on by. But when they saw him walking on the sea... The, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for, for they all saw him and were terrified, but immediately spoke with them and said, Take courage, it is I, do not fear. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, for even their heart at that point was hardened to see the full glory and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, walking on the sea, walking on the water, it in some ways just shows the power of Christ over everything, over everything that comes along, over every storm that's stirred up, over every wind that might blow against you. But I do want you to remember that when they saw him, in each of those accounts, they were afraid. I think there's something about that, that before we can truly see Christ, before we can truly see him working in our own affairs, in our own life, in, in our own struggles, there, there's a sense in we have to see him and as the scripture says, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. There's a sense in which we have to stand afraid. Because we recognize that he is holy and he is powerful and he is God and we're not. We're not holy. We're unholy. We're sinners. And we stand in need of something we cannot do. That's why in the call to worship, I repeated that quote that I've used several times. Corporate worship reminds us that it's not what we do for God that gives us hope, but our hope is found in what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And so we come to this place of worship and we see that it's Christ, the Lord of the storm, the God of creation, the one who was there in the beginning with God and was God, the one who by, by whom all things were made and apart from him was not anything made that was made. And we bow down and worship him. We worship him as the one who is worthy and the only one who is worthy of our worship.
things don't measure up. Other people don't measure up. Idols don't measure up. It's he and he alone that is worthy of our allegiance and worthy of our worship and worthy of our submission. So they're in the boat, and all of a sudden, they're at the other shore. The seas are calmed. Things are in order. And the people on the other side where they just left are looking around for Jesus. Where'd he go? There was a boat here, but I saw the disciples get in it, and they left. There was no other boat for him to take, but we can't find him anywhere. Where is this one that we want to make king? Where is this one that fed us with the loaves and the fishes? Where is this one who can do all manner of miracles to satisfy our bellies? Where is he? They can't find him. So boats come back in from fishing overnight. They jump in the boats, and they start rowing toward the other side. They start going toward Capernaum where they know the disciples went, and maybe they can find him there. When they got there, the crowd saw Jesus, and when they found him on the other side of the sea, they came to him and they said, Rabbi or teacher, Rabboni, when did you get here? Now, you almost got a grin at that. Because they are scratching their heads. They are wondering, how in the world, without a boat, you, you couldn't have jogged around the side of the sea. You couldn't have got there that way. How in the world did you get here? And, and this is what I would think is a question that has a double entendre. Uh, say it, entendre. Thank you. I had to ask my English person this morning. A double entendre. I wrote it down and still can't say it. A double entendre. Double meaning. They wanted to know, Jesus, how did you get from where you fed us with the loaves and fishes to this side of the, of, the, of the sea? How did you make it from over there without a boat? You didn't leave with your disciples. How did you get over here in Capernaum? But Jesus is going to launch into a discourse that we'll look at in depth next week where he's going to say, how did I get here? came down out of heaven. I came from above. I'm the one who is God incarnate. I am the bread of life, he's going to say, and tie it back to those feeding of 5,000. He's going to say, you think that bread was good? You think the bread that Moses gave the, uh, the children of Israel in the, in, the, in the wilderness, the manna that they had there, you think that was good? That's nothing compared to the bread that you can feast on, the bread that you can have if you trust in me. I am the bread of life. If you eat of me, you'll never hunger again see these people are a lot like we are these people were caught up in stuff they were caught up in everyday stuff they were caught up in wanting to have their bellies filled and their their appetites satisfied they, they wanted to have their needs taken care of that were beyond what their real needs were were short, actually, of what their real needs were. They didn't see a need to be made right with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. They didn't see a spiritual need involved in this. They just liked the food and thought, we'll make Him king. We treat Christ the same way so often. So often, even us who, who profess faith in Christ... If you hear our prayers, you'll hear our prayers saying, Oh, Lord, I need for you to do this for me and do that for me, and here's my request, and here's what I want, 
and, 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 and Christ, if you would just do that, I'll be happy. And by the way, if you do that, I'll serve you. I'll go to church. I'll tithe. I'll witness. I'll do it. If you'll just meet this need that I want right now, I'll do all these things. Now, we're lying through our teeth most of the time because we typically don't follow through on that bargaining with Christ. But Christ doesn't bargain. Christ comes and says, I'm Lord. I am the Lord. Here's the option. You either submit to me or you don't. You either come to me as who I am, Lord of the storm, and and, and yes, I will be with you in the storm. It's amazing how John says that Jesus saw them. He He was on the shore, but he saw them in distress in the boat out in the middle of the sea. And he saw them. He sees the storms you're going through. He knows the needs that you have. He knows the struggles in your life. He knows where the wind is blowing in your life. And he cares about that. But he, he's not about just trying to make you happy. He wants to make you holy. He wants to make you like Christ. He wants to shape you and mold you like a piece of, a, a lump of clay into something that is glorious for the glory of God and for the, for, the, for the lifting up of Jesus Christ. He's really not concerned about just making you happy. And there's some of us who, when our appetites, our belly, like these people, controls our life, when it's just what I want and how I want to be easy and how I want to live life, when that's all, all it's about, we, we have Jesus up here more as, a, as someone at our beck and call, someone to serve us and make us what we want to have, give us what we want to have, make us what we want to be, not make us who he wants us to be, not make us what we need to be. Jesus is saying here to these who are seeking after him, I'm not here I'm not here just to do these miracles. In fact, he's, he's, when he gets into this passage, this, this, the rest of chapter 6, which is a long discourse on, on the bread of life, and he gives these words to the people, and he starts talking about these, he's going to say, you know, in verse 26, I'll just go ahead and read that. We'll get into it and deal with it uh, next week. He said, Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. In other words, you don't even understand what the sign was all about. You don't even understand what that miracle was for. You had a piece of bread, you had a piece of fish, you ate it, and you were happy. And you want some more of that. But I want you to understand I've come for a far, far more important purpose, a far, far more important reason than that. I've come not to fill your belly, but I've come to give you eternal life. I've come not just to make you happy. I've come to give you great joy. And the the vast difference between joy and happiness is important to understand. I've come not to make you happy, but to give you joy. I've come not to make you satisfied in yourself. I've come to make you right with God. Show you His glory. Show you His power. To show you His presence in the storms of your life. 
See, he saw the disciples in the middle of the boat. They didn't see him, but he saw them. They didn't see him till he came to, the, to them in the storm. And there are times when you're going to think, Lord, you're not seeing what I'm going through. And he would say to each of them, oh, I see you. And that storm is perfect for your life right now. That storm is perfect to teach you how to trust in me, how to look to me and not think I can work it out myself. I can solve the problem myself. We all tend to be self-sufficient, don't we? We all tend to think, oh, I can do this. This Christian life's a piece of cake. I can, I can follow Christ. I can do this. I don't need his help. And, and Jesus in John 15 is going to tell us in a few months, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Zero. Remember, S. Lewis Johnson once said, you know what nothing is? It's a zero with the edges peeled off. And Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But Paul says, but in him I can do all things through Christ who is my strength. That's when we learn to look to Him, not to the circumstances. But we're all weak in our faith. Listen, you're looking at the weakest in many circumstances. And we're all like Peter, as Matthew tells us about Peter, walking out on that water and saying, Oh, Jesus, I'll come to you. What's this all about? I didn't expect the storm. I didn't expect the waves. I just thought I'd come to you and, and everything would be peachy keen everything be perfect he said no the storms are still there but the key is when peter's faith waned he said oh you have a little faith and he reached down because peter belonged to him and he pulled him up put him in the boat chided him just a little bit jesus ever chide you oh you have little faith couldn't you see i was at work in the storm couldn't you see I was at work in that difficulty in your life? Couldn't you see I was at work even in bad things? I was at work. Oh, it had to have been from the devil. It couldn't have been from God. No, no, let me tell you, remember Job. Nothing gets to your life from the devil that doesn't pass through the permission of God. God says, I was using that in your life. I brought that, I let, I let that come into your life for a specific purpose. You know what that purpose is? That you learn to look to Him. That you learn to trust Him. That you learn to say, you know, circumstances may be bad, but Jesus Christ is good. Circumstances may be trying to destroy me, but Jesus Christ is my hope and my salvation. Circumstances may crash against us and may hurt at times, but we know that we have a Savior who is above all and stronger than all and will secure us in all things if we belong to Him. I'm so glad these apostles told us about Him walking on water. And it's not just so we could have this kind of spiritualized picture of Jesus walking, we can hang on our wall somewhere. It's so that we would know that He is the Lord of the storm. Remember that little thing? We, we talked about it before, but maybe you wasn't here. The key to your walking with Christ in the storms of life is this. 
Let your gaze be upon God and your glance be upon the circumstances. We tend to do that opposite. We tend to gaze upon the circumstances. We we tend to let the circumstances be what we look upon and focus upon and fixate upon. And we say, oh, these are so bad. God, help me. Oh, Lord, what am I going to do here? Lord, help me. And we just kind of glance up at him occasionally. God's way to bring you through the storm is for you to say, Lord, you are worthy of my worship. You are a mighty God. You're an omnipotent God. You're a sovereign God. You're an awesome God. You're every, oh, by the way, there's this problem. But Lord, you are capable and you are able and you are my protection in this over here. But I don't care about that because you are the one worthy of praise. See the difference in gazing upon God and glancing upon the circumstances rather than gazing upon the circumstances and just kind of throwing a prayer, glancing toward God every now and then. Peter quit gazing on Christ and started sinking. Same thing will happen in your life. But when we focus upon Him, when we worship Him, when we bow in His presence and say, "Mm, Lord, You are worthy. I am weak. You are strong. I need You. Not for what I want. But Lord, I need for you to conform my will to your will. I need, just like Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, not my will be done, but your will be done. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven right here in my life right now. Lord, mold my will to look like your will. Let me want the things you want, O oh God. Let me desire the things that, that you desire. Let me live the way you purpose for me to live. May it all be your glory. May it all be for your glory. Let's pray together. You may be here this morning and you're not a believer. You've never trusted Christ. And quite honestly, you say, well, that's, that's kind of a fanciful story. Jesus walking on the Sea of Galilee. But it's not a fanciful story, it's the truth. And when you understand who he is, it, it's no longer a difficult thing to see. And I pray for you this morning that where you sit, The Spirit of God will move in your life and bring conviction of sin and draw you to faith in Himself. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're just struggling. Oh, your storms are big. You're you're going through storms that are (laughs) more than I could ever imagine. Christ is just saying to you, you can't fix your storms, I'm sorry. You can't calm the sea. You can't ease the waves. But I can go with you through that storm. And maybe I'll calm it. Maybe it'll it'll get even worse for a period. But I'll be there with you. Put your gaze upon me, not upon your storm. My prayer for you this morning is that you hear the 
The Spirit of God is saying to you through this word, you be obedient to Him. Father, we commit this to you. Do your work in our lives as you would. Father, I pray you draw men and women to faith in Christ. I pray, Lord, that you you draw people to look to you in the midst of their storm. I pray, Lord, you do your work for your glory in this place. Thank you, Father. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.